I normally don't do intros to podcasts, but this one absolutely deserves it. In this episode, I interview Coach Brian Neville, head coach of Tottenville High School. And there's only so many high school football head coaches in the world. And there's only so many opportunities to get inside of their head. You know, they say a heavy is the head that wears the crown. And the truth of the matter is that when you are the head of any organization, say you're a CEO or a head football coach or a head trainer, there's not many times that you can have another person to lean on and talk to them. You know, you're kind of on this island by yourself. Well, first of all, when I was a head coach, Coach Neville was that guy for me. He was another head coach that I could talk to. But also, as, as you're listening to him talk, it's kind of a therapeutic to get inside the mind of a head coach and listen to, yeah, everybody wants to be that guy, but it's not always as easy as you think it would be. You know, when you have all the power and you have all the, I'll say the burden, it comes back on you. And I think this guy's done an awesome job of, of taking over a program that was run by a legend, making it his own, and really growing as a coach and having the willingness to grow as a coach, which I'm saying I don't think that's a common trait amongst people. Usually they get where they got to go and then they're done. This guy continues to develop himself. So without further ado, here we are with Coach Brian Neville. All right, I'm here with Coach Brian Neville, head coach of the Tottenville High School football team. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Coach. Thanks for having me. Big fan of your podcast for over a year now, so great to be on with you. So coach, I got to ask, how did you hear, I, I knew of you, we never had actually spoken. How did you hear about the podcast? I think I follow you on Twitter and you used to post them up on Twitter and then I would just check them out. You know, I remember before last season, you had a lot of great stuff up there, just um, listening to it and getting some ideas and, um, you know, so that's how I became uh, a fan of your podcast. And did you hear, happen to hear anything on a podcast that made you change the way you think or challenge the way you had been thinking about either football or training your guys? Absolutely. I mean, I'm always looking for different ideas, and I always have questions. I was a guy, when you would ask me to do something, I would say, well, why are we doing that? I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would say it in my head. And, um, you know, like... For instance, you had a podcast on stretching, static stretching. Made a lot of sense to me. You had a podcast on individual drills during football. Why are we doing agile bags during individuals? Made me think. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think I just love new ideas. I love to evolve, um, you know, especially coaching as long as I have been coaching. And coming from an era of playing in the 80s and, and that old school mentality, thinking it doesn't really have to be this way. So I, I think, um, you know, I had these thoughts in my head and your podcast just kind of solidified a lot of them. Running sprints after practice, is that really necessary in, uh, in 2020? So, um, yeah, so I actually credit the podcast with – evolving my thinking and this season like really putting them into play that's uh that's awesome to hear and, and very humbling and i gotta ask so a guy who's been coaching football and been around football as long as you most people say this is it this is the way it is and when we had first spoken you said you never want to be the smartest guy in the room you always want to hear what everyone has to say 
was this something you were like born with or did you develop that mindset over time? No, I think, you know, um, when I came, when I started coaching, you know, coach Munson, I coached on the coach Munson for 15 years and he was like that. Honestly, he didn't want, yes, guys just agreed with him. You know, he would want a different counterpoint all the time. And, and I guess it's something I learned over time that, you know, you could always learn you and, and coach would always, would always learn, always want to learn no matter how many years he's been doing it. And he's still doing it, you know, always listening to different perspectives and different ideas um, from the weight room to the football field, everything. So um, I guess I got that from him. And um, I guess now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing more of it based on the day and age that we live in. So just kind of evolving more. So how long have you been the head coach of Tottenville? Four years. So 2016 was my first year. And how did you actually become the head coach? Were you tapped on the shoulder? Did you have to interview? What, what was the journey like? Well, I started coaching at Tottenville. Well, I played at Tottenville. So, um, and Coach Monson was a young coach back when I played. He was the linebacker coach. Um, so I had a relationship with him. Always thought he was going to be special as a coach. Um, you know, it's funny as, as kids, kids, you can't fool kids. So, um, the kid's going to know right, right then and there, if this guy knows what he's talking about or this guy's a fraud. And, and from a very young age, when I was introduced to coach Munson on the football field, you knew that this guy was going to be a head coach and he was going to be a very good coach. And, you know, so you can never fool a kid. And, and I started coaching with him and Oh, one, and I just, you know, and not having any idea about, foot, you know, had an idea about football because I played it, but coaching is a different animal. And, you know, learning, I guess, from the ground up for 15 years, going from receiver coach to running back coach to offensive line coach to offensive coordinator, just learning the game, going to clinics year-round with coach and um, being in the weight room with him in the offseason, you just learn the whole aspect of the program and what it entails to be a head coach and you know and coach would always say it but um you know coach is not much younger than not much older than me you know he's 55 I'm 49 so you never really believed that he was going to leave and it's not something I was really like, I want to be a head coach. I want to be a head coach. It's just really something that happened, um, you know, where he left. He thought, you know, kind of thought I would be the best person to replace him. And, um, and that's it. And, and that was four years ago. So this was going to be my fifth year this year. But uh, I guess coronavirus or uh, had something to do with this. <laughs> Are you allowed <laughs> to say? Years on hold. Can you say where the state of the 2020 season is in the PSAL? Um, right now, we're on a total poll. So, I can't, you know, Governor Cuomo has stated that we can begin practice on the 21st, but I don't know what that means. But we, I don't think we can play until after December 31st. So, uh, it's very vague. 
And of course, the PSAL has given us no direction of where we're headed. I think the best hope we can have right now is for a spring season. They did give us some information about a possible March through May shortened season. You know, so I think that's right now the best we can hope for. All right. I, I guess uh, I can't ask for any more information than that because we just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I fit. the the sad thing is, is, you know, you think about, I know you played high school ball. I played high school ball. You think about not only the seniors that, you know, don't have an opportunity to finish their careers, but you think about the fret, you think about everybody just losing a year of high school football that you cannot get back is just, you know, it's like they're the collateral damage of this whole thing that nobody seems to care about. Yeah, it's it's a state. blip in your life, right? Like say you live to be 80 years old, you got only four years to, to do this. And if one of them is, is gone, well, there goes 25% of that little blip that you already had. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, your high school, your time in high school, how quickly that goes and how many memories and great things come out of those four years, the friendships you make, um, you know, and just the times that you have just that you can't get back. And again, I mean, what they're doing with schooling, I don't want to get off topic, but I mean, going to school one day a week, then going online, it, it, it's just being socially distanced from your classmates. It's just, it, again, they're the collateral damage of this whole situation that we've been going through that nobody seems to think about and nobody seems to care about. And I guess uh, it's this massive balancing act of, of everything, right? Like the actual disease, kids, uh, psyche, people's incomes. Uh, I'm, I am glad I'm not the governor or the mayor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, if there was just some clear understanding of the that changes and the contradictions are just plentiful of um, you know you could eat indoors on in Long Island but if you go a few miles to the Queens border you can't eat indoors so if when we're going back to school we're putting kids inside a building and then we're asking them to eat indoors but you can't eat indoors so you could practice football, but you can't play a game. So I guess the disease, you know, he knows when we're playing. So that's when it's going to attack. So rather than when we're practicing, it's not. So, All right. So when you were becoming the head coach, right before you, you know, you say, yep, I'm going to do it. Did you feel like you knew you were ready or did you feel like, what the hell did I get myself into? I, I felt both of those, you know, one, I didn't think I was ready. You know, 15 time, but it was all spent on one side of the ball, you know. So there's a lot of aspects to football, <laughs> offense, defense, special teams. So my whole time was spent on the offensive side of the ball. So definitely what I was not ready um, from that perspective. And about did I think about what did I get myself into? I absolutely thought that my first year probably <laughs> – more times than anybody would ever know. What was like something that you thought you were totally prepared for, but became completely surprised by? Um, that's that. That is a good question. I, I 
didn't realize, you know, <laughs> you know, when you, I didn't realize taking over for Coach Munson, you know, you know, it's Coach Munson. And, and to be honest, he's probably, and I'm a little bit biased, but if you look at the scope of high school football in the last 20, 30 years, it's probably him. Coach Paterzo, Coach Horowitz, Coach Oliveri probably are right up there. Um, so, one, you're taking over for a man like that. Two, I'm taking over a team that lost 21 starters. Um, so, it was going to be a whole thing of nobody was coming back type of deal. And three, you didn't realize all the behind the scenes stuff that a head coach has to go through um, just to get out on the field, all, all the little things, the behind the scenes, parents, um, the, the meetings, the uh, putting out fires, the teachers coming to you about a particular student, the principal coming to you about a particular student. Um, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a tornado of just, other things other than football that, you know, unless you're doing the job, unless you do the job, you have no clue what to expect. I'm so glad you said that coach. Cause I, I'm thinking of all of the non-football related activities that to me were distractions, you know, like you become a head coach and X's and O's is like 10th on your list. You know, football <laughs> becomes 10th on your list. And that really sh- probably shouldn't be the way. And I remember my first game as a head coach, I looked at the sideline and said, nobody knows what it took just to get these kids standing here right now. That the helmet, make sure that helmet fits. Like that's like little stupid things like that. Take up 90% of your time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who's missing a mouthpiece who forgot their Jersey, Um, you know, and you're ready to kick off in an hour and you know, then you got to do the team meal. You know, there's so much thing. After the game, you got to get the clothes, the pants washed. Um, Wednesday night, you have the parent club meeting. And then you got all the complaints from what happened on Friday night. Um, so it, it, it's definitely something that unless you do, you have no clue what you're getting yourself into. And um, luckily, it got easier. For me, you know, and especially, you know, my first game as a head coach was a complete debacle where I always say if I could have dug a hole and just left, I would have because it was, I want to say it was 48 to 12. And they started the we want Munson back chance uh, (laughs) within the first five minutes of the game. (laughs) <laughs> so that was my introduction to being a head coach. So, that is, um, that is sub introduction. Yeah, and I still am thankful for Coach Gambadella because when I tell you he could have scored a hundred that night on me and, and he didn't, so I'm still grateful for him for not doing that. But that was uh, that was my introduction to being a high school coach. Forty-eight twelve. Um, we want Munson chance started in the first quarter. My brother almost got into multiple fist fights in the stands. And uh, that was my introduction. So luckily, um, it improved um, from there. But again, if I look back at 2016 to how I was as a head coach to where I am now, it's like two different people. So you, you mentioned that unless you've done it, you don't know. And I, you know, I'll ask you 
maybe a year ago was my first time being a head coach, and I got to see the camaraderie of the PSAL coaches. Specifically, I'll talk about you and Coach Gambadella, even just hanging out at the boys' league, just talking. You know, like, like friends. I didn't think head coaches did that with each other. Everybody's enemies. <laughs> Why do you, do you think you guys are close because you you know what you're going through? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, again, it wasn't always like that, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's high school football. He's in it for the same reason I'm in it for. Um, head coaches on Staten Island, they're just, just you know, good guys. You know, they're doing it for the right reason. Do we have our disagreements? Yes. Are we competitive? Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, it's high school football. You know, he's beaten me. I've beaten him. Um, he's got way more championships than I do. Um, so um, it's just, I guess, a mutual respect the way he runs his program. I know he has respect the way I run my program. And that and that's for anybody on Staten Island. Like I said, everybody on Staten Island. And I would say New York City, I mean, Coach O'Connor in Brooklyn, uh, great guy. Um there's so many of them that are just in it for the right reason. And just about the kids, even with this whole thing that's going on, you know, the powers to be don't really care, but the coaches care, you know, we're fighting for a season. We're fighting for these kids. Um, and so I guess it's just a mutual respect. And again, like, like I said, my first game, he could have scored a hundred on me. We weren't lined up right. Um, we had two guys in the C gap. He could have ran trap up all day on us and he, he didn't, you know? So, you know, that tells you right there a lot about the guy, um, his character. And again, I wouldn't, um, yeah. So I guess, uh, you could say that's the reason why I guess on Staten Island, we're pretty tight, but again, you know, we're competitive you know, and it's become not only competitive on the field, now you're trying to get players into your building also. So, <laughs> and we're all fighting for the same players. So, but again, um, it's all about the kids and it's all about, you know, the competition. But at the end of the day, it's, um, we're all in it for the same reason. And you also mentioned come taking over a program after Coach Munson. So, you know, I'm coaching at sea. I'm a player at sea, and I'm hearing about Coach Munson, this legend. I'm coaching at sea. Coach Manos is there. A lot of what he brought to the table was Munson stuff from Tottenville. When you took over, did you feel like I have to keep this culture slash tradition, or did you feel like I got to keep some parts and I got to keep this, make this other stuff my own? Yeah, I mean, the the pressure I felt to keep the program at the level that it was given to me was tremendous not by not by anybody but the the pressure I put on myself you know so you know you're given this program which has been typically top four in New York City year after year um any fall off that first year you know there was one common denominator and that would have been that coach Munson's not here no more so uh (laughs) That was the pressure I put on myself. Now, did I get pressure from him? Absolutely not. Nothing but support. You know, he still worked in the building. Um, didn't come out to practice. Didn't see him at many games. If he did come to a game, he stayed outside the facility. Um, always there on Monday to uh, talk about what happened, whether good or bad, to give me advice. Um, 
So I guess that pressure I felt, you know, and the moment I took the job, I felt that pressure. I think one of the quotes taking the job is I didn't want to be known as Ray Hanley, you know, <laughs> you know, Ray Hanley took over for Bill Parcells and nobody remembers Ray Hanley. Um, so I didn't want that. And he just, I guess they became one of the worst teams in the league after Parcells left and Hanley was the coach. So that pressure was put on by, you know, just stuff. I just, I put it on myself. Um, probably wasn't fair to myself, but um, that's the way I think. And uh, Hanley wanted to become a lawyer and Parcells is the one that talked him out of it and told him to stay be, being a coach. Yeah. Does anybody know what Ray Hanley is now? Nobody ever heard from him again. That That's the crazy <laughs> thing. <laughs> Fell off the face of the earth. Exactly. <laughs> So I'm just thinking about Coach Munson's personality, and now I'm thinking about Coach Manos's personality. I'm assuming you were on the staff with both of those guys. What was that environment like? I missed Coach Manos by a year. Oh. I my, yeah, I think my first year he wasn't coaching, and then my second year he took over at C. But I got the stories, <laughs> you know, um, and I've known Coach Manos a long time, and – you know, and being around Coach Munson and seeing their relationship, they were pretty much similar in the way they coached and uh, what they expected. Um, so it was pretty – it was an education definitely to be with Coach Munson um, for a while. And it was funny because when he, Coach Manos was the coach at C, he would always come by on Monday night and they would talk about Coach's game plan. Coach Manos would talk about his game plan. And, and it was it was kind of like – a similar uh, set of ideals that they had. And I, I even loved talking to James Munson, the, the son on the podcast. It was just, it was sick to hear how a coach's son talks, you know, how specifically coach Munson's son talks and thinks, and you could just kind of feel coach Munson coming through his son. Yeah. I mean, like James was the, uh, you know, that perfect, kid where he's a coach on the field where he always knew where everybody had to be he um always knew um not only his position but everybody else what they were doing so and he was a great athlete as well james so definitely a coach's son james was around the program when i first started as a you know a six-year-old maybe five or six I remember him being at every practice, going being at camp, just always being around it. And um, he was a great player. I mean, I know he was he he was kind of modest on your podcast, but <laughs> you know, we used to tell Coach Munson as a sophomore, you know, and Coach was hesitant to play him. But I remember in the coaches' meetings, we would be like, Coach, you got to play him. He and he was nothing. He might have been five six, one hundred and thirty pounds, and he was he was great then as a safety. So we, we had to force coach Munson's hand to play his son. Um, but that's how good he was as a sophomore, just being always in the right spot um, and getting everybody lined up. Right. And here's James on the podcast saying, yeah, I didn't want I, the chip on my shoulder was, I didn't want anybody to think I was, I was playing because of my dad. And you're saying that his dad was keeping him off the field when he's yeah. a sophomore. <laughs> his dad was definitely hesitant to playing him for that perception. And, um, 
you know, that's a tough deal to go through for a coach. Um, I'm kind of going through it now with my son. My son um, is going to be on the varsity this year. And, you know, it, it's it's tough. It's tough. It's a, it's a tough um, position to be in because you don't want him to play unless he deserves to play, and that's the way it's going to be. Um, but that might cause a little friction at home. But And if he plays, then there's the perception that he's only playing because he's my son. So um, that's a predicament that I'm going to be in for the next two years. But, again – my son knows, and um, he's only going to play unless he deserves to play. So, and I'm going to have to deal with the consequences at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, let me ask you this: Is your son? Do you, have, do you have two sons? I have, yeah, I have a son that's going to be a junior, and I have a son that's uh, going to be a sixth grader. So, when you're watching them growing up play football, how is it? Are you hands off? Are you letting their coach do everything? Are you coaching them up at home? Or are you? Uh, you guys yeah. <laughs> totally hands off. Um, you know, I, I tried to coach my son like one spring where, um, you know, we weren't, you know, I was available to coach, help him out. And I'm just too, t- so I wanted to take a step back and just let him do his thing. And uh, my youngest son now, I'm totally, I just drop him off there and I pick him up because again, it's, you know, it's got to be hard on him, me being a head coach, um, for him to perform. So, again, you just have to take a step back and, and let him do his thing. And if he wants to play, he's, he's, he plays. If he doesn't want to play, that's great, too. So the only thing I've asked my kids to be, my boys, was you don't have to be the best football player, but be the best person um, in the room. So. If he does that, then I'm okay with it. So kind of hands off with the football thing. And what about their coaches growing up? Did they have high expectations of you helping them out? Or are they saying, like, Coach <laughs> Neville, just get the hell out of you? No, they, you know, they, they would, like I said, I try to, when I go down there to the field, I try to avoid people in general (laughs) and I'm just going down there to watch my kid you know so I stayed far enough away I never gave any uh I never wanted to talk to a coach whether I agreed or not you know things he he would have to learn on his own um you know there was times when my son would come home and think he should be playing and I would say then practice harder what do you want me to tell you you know there's there's things they got to learn on their own. And, and this day and age where most parents aren't like that, you know, they aren't the way when we grew up, we were taught to handle problems on our own. Nowadays, kids are kind of taught to go home and have their parents fix the problem. And that's, that's really not the way life works. You know, if you have an issue, you got to fix it. Nobody's going to fix it, you know? So I kind of teach my kids that, and um, just stay out of their business and stay and let the coaches coach. I know how hard it is to coach, whether it's on any level. Um, and the parents just can make it worse. So I didn't want to be that parent. I never want to be that parent. So let the coaches coach. Let me enjoy my son. Um, watch him play. Watch him practice. Watch him make friends and have a good time. And, and that's it. So. 
And what, what coach is going out there to intentionally ruin the life or lives of their players? So and I think you get that as a coach, but some parents, they're, they're kind of looking at it like, this is what I'm watching on Sunday. I'm, these guys are highly paid athletes, so why isn't the same thing happening at uh, the boys' league or at this high school level? Yeah, I mean, um, if you think about it, you know, and, and this has been like, uh, I guess, something that I always is a pet peeve of mine. When I played high school football or you played high school football or you go back the last, this didn't start changing until probably about five or six, seven years ago, where instead of going to play high school football, just for the fun of playing high school football, it's become, uh, I'm going to get a division one scholarship. I got to get a scholarship. I'm going to go to this school because it's going to help me get a scholarship. It's become that. Instead of, let me play high school football, let me make great friends and have great memories to becoming kind of like a, a minor leagues for Division One football. And if they don't get it, it's your fault. You know, so. <laughs> right. I, I would have been the D1 player, but you ruined it for me. Like, no matter what, I'm D1, but this high school coach is good. The only thing that's stopping me is my high school coach. That's, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but a lot of people have that mentality, you know, they don't understand um, how difficult it is to get a division one scholarship or any type of scholarship, you know, so I kind of try to tell that to the kids right off the bat. If you get a scholarship, it's, it's God given. I have really nothing to do with it, you know, and any coach that says they have something to do with it is not being truthful because scholarships are God given, you know, God given God. I didn't, you, you're running that speed. God gave you that speed. (laughs) You know, you're six, four. I didn't, I didn't make you six, four, you know? So the fact that high school football has become that is kind of a big, it's a big, you know, negative on the whole. Do you feel there's any way to, to bring it back to the way it was, or has that ship sailed and we're just in a completely different world now? I think that ship has sailed um, completely. Um, you know, and, and if, if you had, and, and it's a shame because, again, people in my position don't want to deal with that. You know, they don't want, you think about it. You have, now you get these kids in. Now you have a pressure, the pressure. You know, we talked about all the things you have to deal with. Now you have to deal with getting them a look, getting them something, getting them um, in front of coaches, getting that. You know, it's become another added layer onto the whole um, job title of being a head coach, which I don't mind um, if kids are realistic and they understand what you know, what reality is. And I think you nailed it, Coach. Like, the, the worst part of all of this is that that kid or maybe their parents are ruining – sorry, not ruining – are losing the happiness of this high school football experience. Because when you do get to college and you do get that Division One scholarship, if you're lucky enough to get it, your life is not easy. They own your life. They tell you what classes to take, what time to be up, what time to eat. Now it's a business. So really enjoy this time while you got it. And you only got four years of this time. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, Like I said, 
if you ask me, and Coach Munson always used to say this, and, you know, he used to say things that, you know, years later you remember, and he always used to say, you're not going to remember who you sat next to in English class 20 years from now, but you're going to remember who you lined up next to on fourth and three um, versus Newdorf. You're going to remember that. And I think that has become almost a distant memory with kids, some kids and some parents. Now it's become, well, how many times did he get the ball? How, what's his tape look like? I got to make this tape, uh, you know, right after the game, <laughs> right after the game where you play on Friday and Saturday, there's already highlights up of the game. For what reason? The reason is to not what you're doing now, but what you hope to do in the future. And um, again, it's just part of um, what has become part of the norm in high school football. And I'll I'll say, I think from my own personal perspective, it was a a very, very short run, but I I was blessed to have a lot of what, you know, you talk about the, the hour kind of guy, like a, a a blue collar player, bring your lunchbox to to practice every day. I'm I'm team first, but it's tough in society because there's there's too much of that from the outside coming in. So I guess what I want to ask you is, is what is, what is your kind of guy? And I'll take one second back here. Uh, when I had gone to go visit with the Dolphins, we got to take a look in Coach Flores' board, and he had our kind of guy. And it was loves football, number one. Two, puts the team first. Three, loves to compete. Four, tough. Five, smart. And that's like, this is, these are the five things that we want of our kind of guy. For you, if a kid's looking to play Tottenville, at Tottenville, what, what's your kind of guy? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, definitely a team first guy. You know, and we had them this year. Listen, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, how my coaching style has kind of evolved a little bit. But team first, definitely. um, I preach that every single day, every single day about not worrying about yourself, but worry about your teammate, you know. Um, And if you do that, then good things will happen. I think we showed that this year. I think we had a lot of team first guys. I mean, we had a running back this year that if I gave him the ball, every play coach, he, he would have rushed for 4,000 yards. <laughs> he was that good, but he wasn't like that. And when your best players are team first guys, that's when your team could be special. Did we have some selfish guys? Absolutely. Um, but I think the team first guys kind of overshadowed them. Um, but that was always my saying, um, don't worry about yourself, worry about your teammate, you know? So, um, and I think preaching that for so long, I think they got it, but, um, I would say definitely team first, definitely a guy that shows up all the time, ready to work. I'm a big, uh, when we're working, we're working, when we're having fun, we're having fun. Um, but. I would say that I hate selfish guys. I hate my, uh, me guys. You know, we, we dress a certain way. We look a certain way. Nobody's um, dressed differently. We stand for the play, stand for the national anthem. We, we practice it, you know, so we're very, um, we're very, I guess, set in how I want my team to be just want them to be disciplined, be team first guys and work hard. I guess 
those three things would uh, kind of uh, summarize my type of team. And those things take. And it no, doesn't hurt to have some talent. I was just going to say, coach. Those first three <laughs> things they they didn't require any talent. I think any kid that joins Tottenville football, they they can do. They have the power to do those three things. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and when you get those things and and you get some talent, that's when good things happen. So I'm not going to sit up here and say you don't win without talent because that's not true. You have to have talent. But I've had teams that are talented that didn't put those three things into play and uh you know that always comes to show sometime in the season so this next question it actually comes from joe sarno and you hit on it when you were just talking his was uh you know how have you evolved as a head coach what what's changed in your coaching style (laughs) well um you know i figured you would ask me this question because it really has completely gone 180 you know coming in in 16, I was definitely, you know, we were going to work. We were going to outwork everybody. We were going to hit. We were going to be tough. I had that old school mentality. I remember at camp, uh, the first day hitting, just long, doing goal line tackling for 15 minutes, going to eye openers, um, running uh, gasses after practice. You know, and I learned lessons that year. I really did, you know. Um, you know, and that was the way the year went where, and I, I heard this on, I think, one of your podcasts, I think with uh, Tony Holler. Uh, am I pronouncing his name right? Yes, yep. Legend. Yep. Um, and I thought about this not only before I heard it, but I thought about it during that season. I remember the playoff game. Um when uh, we we played Lincoln that year. Somehow we got the fourth seed in the playoffs. Had a decent year where, you know, again, um, didn't have a lot of talent. We placed 21 senior, 21 starters. Um, and I remember them coming out for that playoff game and saying, God, these kids don't even look like they want to play anymore. And then I heard that podcast, and he said, if you're making your kids – almost, and I probably don't got the quote right, but basically said, if your kids don't want to play, like, how is that fun? You know, how right. they don't want to be there no more. <laughs> and they didn't want to be there no more, actually. <laughs> so here we went, went through this grind from August till I think the second week in November of a grind, and they had enough. And they already put in their head that, they had checked out and the season was going to be over. And we lost that game 34, 12, I believe. And um, I learned a lesson that year. And that's when I guess I started like looking at myself and looking at what we're doing. And, you know, it's been a constant evolution, I guess, up until last year where I didn't go. I went full pads once the whole year in camp and didn't go once during the season, full pads. I went from practicing in camp the first year, three times a day to practicing once a day for two hours. I went from running some type of conditioning circuit for 15 minutes after practice in 2016 to not running one sprint during or after practice. Um, in 2019 so and 
again, went from three hour practices to to having two hour practices. And again, I didn't have any issues of kids not wanting to play deep into the playoffs. Where in 2016, I remember saying, these kids have to understand that football season's a grind. I think putting the onus on them where it was almost their fault to coming in 2019 and saying that's not going, that's not, it wasn't their fault. What, how I coached and my philosophy and all that, that was my fault of what happened in 2016 and probably 2018 too. It was kind of the same deal where kids had checked out and we lost in the playoffs as well. So I guess between 2016, 2018, I came to this rationalization that that philosophy is, is maybe it will work. Um, but I think this philosophy works much better. Kids are happy. I'm more happy. Um, and it's fun. Think about it. Football supposed to be fun. And there was, there was times where I was making it miserable for them, myself, and probably my coaches as well. So, um, just, just that. And, and like I said, um, in the beginning, the podcast that I listened to of yours really, you know, it was in my head, but it really kind of started to um, cement things more. And I did it. We didn't do agiles. Um, I didn't allow agile bags on the field during, uh, during the season for the most part, you know, some, some positions use them, but um, most didn't. I didn't do any sprints. I didn't, I didn't static stretch. I didn't practice for three hours, three and a half hours. I didn't do it. I didn't do two a days. I didn't do three a days. Um, I just didn't do it. And, you know, of course there's always going to be that person. If it doesn't work, Oh, well, because we didn't do this. We don't tackle well because we don't do live tackling drills. Never did a live tackling drill last year. Always did. Um, technique tackling twice a week. Um, Coach Sarno would lead the tackling drills um, and some of my other coaches, always on bags. And we had no issues. Um, So (laughs) no pulled muscles to the last game of the year. The running back uh, slightly pulled his hamstring, but there were no groins. There were no popped hamstrings from not stretching before practice. Um, So it kind of solidified my, um, my new philosophy this year. And again, we had talent. So, um, so if you have talent and you keep the kids motivated and you um, make it fun because football is supposed to be fun. And you think about it, football is a complete grind. No matter you're practicing (laughs) five days a week to play one, no other sport you do that. So um, yeah, so that would, probably be my evolution as a coach from 16 to 19 and I'm always looking to take it even more (laughs) to uh, a different level do I have to practice two hours do I you know is that too long now so I'm always looking to take it even further so again that's why I surround myself kind of with people with the same ideas and the same philosophy and different thoughts to kind of um, help me get to a different place and and that's it 
I think there's so many valuable lessons and you just said a lot. So I think the first one yeah. for, for kids, you have a, a head coach who you were always telling kids, be accountable for your actions and right or wrong, whatever happened before 2019, you're doing inner reflection of how can I get better? You're not blaming the kids. You're not blaming the coaches staff. What can I do to get better? And then two is I'm just remembering when we had first talked about me coaching at Tottenville, the thing that sold me was that, and you're telling me your practice plan and the way you're doing things. I'm saying, man, this guy is a feed the cats guy. And I don't yeah. think I can coach any other way. Like I, I, now that I've seen the light, I just can't coach the other way. And when you said that, I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> this guy is yeah. a feed the cats guy. I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still so much I need to learn um, about that philosophy that I, I want to learn um, to see how far we can get with it. But the days of me running out there in full pads and banging heads and that first year in 16, after that first practice, I was, uh, you know where I was? I was in the ambulance with three guys headed to a Staten Island South concussion, sprained ankle stitches. Um, and my first game, there was about five or six or there was about six guys that didn't play in that game because of what we did during camp. <laughs> so how am I going to, you know, and again, this, this didn't, uh, the light bulb didn't go over my, off of my head that year. It took three years to reflect on everything to say, what the heck am I doing? You know, and kind of the selling point, the real solidifier this year was the first day we were allowed to do two a days this uh, last year. I went out for that second practice and it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it wasn't a good effort. And instead of yelling, instead of screaming, instead of pushing, I just said, I'm never going to have another two a day practice. Ever again. <laughs> well, I, I like what Tony Hollis says too. Like don't let today ruin tomorrow. So if Correct. I have a, if I have a two a day or a three a day, now I'm either dogging the second and third practice just to get through it, or I'm so tired tomorrow's done. Like there's nothing I can do tomorrow. Absolutely. When I heard that, you know, it was again another another bell going off in your head. You see, <laughs> you know, I, I I wasn't wrong for not doing that and, and never having another second two a day ever again. <laughs> you know, when I heard that, I said, like, "See, <laughs> I'm right." <laughs> So how do so, you, um, how do you deal with that? Like, it, cause I know what you're saying. Cause I, if you put a, you know, a target on your chest, someone is eventually going to shoot an arrow through it. So if you're a contrarian coach or not doing what everybody else does, the second it doesn't work, you like you said, they said, this is why you lost. How do you deal with the naysayers? You just brush well, it off or you go right back at them. Um, <laughs> to me, uh, that's hard for me to brush off anything. I, I kind of have rabbit ears. I hear everything. I, Everything to me is a fight, <laughs> which, I'm, again, I'm trying to evolve from and not as I learn. And again, the stuff Coach Munson used to deal with. And here's a guy that won like 188 games, had three championships, and he never reacted to anything. Whereas we're similar in a lot of ways, but different in so many where I would react to everything um, where I'm learning not to. But at this point, I built up. After four years, you know, I built up um, a fact that I could always point to 2019. <laughs> yep. And, you know, we didn't win at all, but, you know, we won 11 games and lost in the championship. 
And uh, so I guess once you do that, one, you got to believe in it. Um, you got to believe you're doing the right thing. And, um, and then, you know, show results that it works, you know, talk to any kid on my team last year and ask them if they uh, were miserable in November, you know, uh, ask them if they didn't enjoy coming to practice, ask them if they weren't excited in November to practice for the quarterfinals, the semifinals and the championship. Ask them if they weren't excited on Thanksgiving day to practice, you know, right. Um, you know, ask the kids last year, then go back to 16 and ask them. And it's going to be a different response. You know, it's going to be a different response. And again, a response in 2016, where I would have said, ah, that kid's not tough enough. That kid, he's mentally weak. Where in 2019, uh, I'm saying that their mentality was my fault. You know, their feelings towards coming to football practice and playing at Tottenville was my fault, not theirs. So it's just an evolution and, and learning. This is a uh, this is glorious stuff, man. I, I, now I, I got to segue into another question from Coach Sarno. So I, I, you know, I kind of had the happy conversation, but he said this question is going to piss you off. So hopefully you're <laughs> sitting down. He said, uh, "What are you going to do to get Tottenville over the quote unquote hump?" Yeah, uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, and Coach, what is the hump? I mean, you guys won 11 games last year. You went, you beat the team. Erasmus during the regular season who won the, the city championship. What, what is the hump? Is the hump city championship? Yeah, the hump's the city championship. You're talking to, um, you know, we haven't won a championship since 03. You know, that's a long time. You know, so um, it's definitely a hump. He's 100% right. And what are you going to do to get over that hump? You're just going to wake up every day like we do, go to work. And just preach to them all the three things I spoke about earlier, you know. And I'm going to surround myself with good coaches and good people. And hopefully, um, and add some talent, because you need talent. Anybody that tells you you don't need talent to win at any level is not being truthful. You need talent. You need to surround yourself with good people. And you need to have a team that's willing to work hard. And um, kind of care about them, care about somebody else other than themselves, and that's what we. That's you know, what could you do, George? <laughs> you, you, what could you do other than go keep fighting? You know, and that's what we do. We keep fighting, and uh, you know, I'm, I firmly believe that we have some. We have a good foundation. Hopefully, it will still be standing after this whole pandemic. But we have a foundation, you know, the foundation's just being laid um, and just keep keep grinding, you know, keep grinding, keep loving what you do, keep surrounding yourself with good people and um, just hope for the best. And if things don't work out, what do you do? You keep going, you know, so <laughs> that's all good. But again, surround yourself with like minded guys and, and Coach Sarno, um, yourself. Coach Juvenelli, um, Coach Maraconda, Coach Catula. These are guys um, that I surround myself with that, you know, are good for kids, number one, and um, good football coaches and, and do it the right way. So that's all you could do. 
And I think when, when you and I had first started talking about you know, a coaching staff, I think that was one of your pieces of advice to me was, you know, don't hire a guy that you wouldn't go out and have a alcoholic beverage with or a protein shake with. Like you got to be able to relate to that person who's good for the kids and like on a, on a social level or a personal level. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, and, and it's hard to find the right combination um, of assistant coaches um, in today's day and age, you know, it's not like years ago when you had young kids that were willing to coach for no money, um, bad hours <laughs> to get <laughs> yelled at and abused. So it's hard um, to find guys like that. So now I try, I, and, and I've had great coaches, you know, around me. Um, coach Rocco was a great coach. Um, he's now at Peter's doing their JV. He was with me for a year or two, two years. And again, my evolution as a coach to, or you want to say it's a, a little bit of metamorphosis to this um, happy, friendlier player, coach guy. I want to surround myself with guys that not only um, will buy in to what we're doing, but I want to, you know, nothing makes me happier, more happy when I see Coach Sarno um, kids texting Coach Sarno, Coach Sarno working out with kids on his own time. That relationship uh, that assistant coaches can make and the impact they can make, because that to me is important, you know. And, um, you know, you say we didn't meet um, up until we didn't have, we didn't start talking until probably a little over a year ago. But I knew of you and I knew what your philosophy was and I knew what you did for kids went beyond the football. You look at um, what you did, you know, I used to go to the same gym as you and I, I joked around with you. We used to, I used to go there probably before work at 6am and you and half of the C football team would be there um, <laughs> on every machine, every apparatus. I'd be like, Is this guy kidding me? It's 6am and this guy's got everything going, but you know, that shows, you know, how, and, and, and those kids still have a relationship with you to this day. You know, you aren't the head coach, you know, but the, the time you put in with them and, and what you did for them means something to them, you know? So coach Sarno last year was your biggest advocate, you know, loves you. So from what I witnessed back in the day um, and from, seeing the relationship you have built with former players that are grown men now, that means something. That means more than, you know, getting over the hump, you know? And I see that in Coach Sarno. You know, I see it in yourself. You know, I see it in Coach Juvenelli. You know, that 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 at the end of the day is probably more important than lining up and beating Erasmus or beating Curtis or winning a championship. I mean, Coach, that's some deep stuff. First of all, thank you for the for the, con- the kind words. And saying that's some deep stuff for assistant coaches because sometimes as an assistant coach, you get lost and you don't realize the impact that you're having on kids. And really, those kids should love their assistant coach probably more than the head coach because they're spending so much more time with that guy. So on this note of talking about relationships with players, this is the last Joe Sarno question he had. He actually gave me three. He's the third one. What is the most memorable relationship you've had with a particular player? And why? Hmm. That's a good one. That, that, that is a good one. Um, definitely 
Edmund Larea is one that comes to mind. He was uh, he was a running back that I coached. Rutgers grad, went to Rutgers, played football there five years. Now living in the city, actor, um, actor, model, sportscaster, does the whole deal. Um, you know, it, it's great when this pandemic first hit. He calls. He calls me sees, to see how I'm doing. That that's pretty <laughs> special, you know. Um, says he's getting married. He's inviting me to his wedding. That that you know stuff like that. That's special. Um, so definitely him. He's definitely one of the best that ever, best people that ever come um, that I ever coached. Um, and but the, there's so many. Like for instance, uh, you know. A couple of weeks ago, there was a there was a boys league uh, clinic. So I call, I I contacted Augustus Edwards, who plays for the um, plays for the Ravens, and you know said, "What's going on? What are you doing? Are you home?" He said, "No. Why? What's up?" I said, "Oh, there's a clinic." Um, he said, "I'm in Baltimore." I said, "Oh, forget it." He's like, "Why? What's up?" I said, "Oh, there's a clinic." At boys, if you're home, I wanted you to come by, speak to the kids. And, you know, his response to me was, wasn't, oh, okay, uh, I'll talk to you later. It was, well, coach, I could probably make it happen if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, when when you're dealing with grown men now that you coached and you get responses like that, here's a guy that's, you know, ready to start training camp probably two days from when I spoke to him that's willing to drive to Staten Island to speak for probably about five, 10 minutes to a bunch of uh, young kids and is willing to do that because of um, the fact that, you know, he played at Tottenville high school and, uh, you know, maybe coached them a little bit. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just stuff like that is, you know, again, it's just special, you know, here's a guy that again, you know, I hung up on him or, and I was just like, wow, you know, he is a guy that's ready to, you know, go to training camp with the Ravens. He's willing to drive all the way down to speak to him. And he's like, I'll come if you want. I said, Augustus, I don't want you to come down. It might rain. They might cancel it. He's like, all right. Uh, but he's like, I appreciate you. You know, that's how we ended the conversation. I said, just take care of business at both in, in training camp. And he was like, thank you. I appreciate you. You know, so that's awesome. Yeah, so stuff like that, and there's there's plenty of kids like that that could go through. But um, again, the relationships you make as a as an assistant coach are 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 strong. Now, both of those guys you named were you the head coach of those guys, or were you an assistant coach? No, I was the assistant. You know, and um, I was I was the offensive coordinator when Augustus played there, and. Uh, when Edmund played there, I was just his running, I was just his position coach. So, um, you know, yeah. So it, those relationships right now are bigger than any, any relationships um, that I have right now with former players. And I think again, assistant coaches, listen, uh, you make a much bigger impact than you think. And you're right, coach. People probably don't think about it. That they're probably not thinking about it as an assistant coach, but you look reflecting on all these years and now these guys are grown men and they're reaching out to you. You see the impact you have on their life. Positive or negative. There's a lot of responsibility on you. So 
you got to make this make it a yeah. great part of that yeah. kid's game. And, and, and you know, Coach Munson always used to say this, and it wasn't like one of his standards. He might have said it a few. He might have said it once or twice to me in private, and it was, "Remember, they're kids now, but someday they're going to be grown men." You know, and the way you treat them. So, you're talking to somebody like you may be thinking like this is a child, but in a few short years, this this is going to be a grown man. <laughs> yep. So that always that that always um, stuck to me. Um, and sometimes I got to remind myself of what he said, but that always stuck to me. And that wasn't like one of his everyday saying, that was something he spoke to me. We might've had that conversation once. And it's just something that I always remembered. And it's so true. I, I never thought of it till you just said it, but yeah. And I think that does change the way you're going to talk to this kid who will be a grown man. Yeah. You think about it. I mean, these are guys that are going to go on and do great things. Doctors, lawyers, cops, firemen. And, you know, you're sitting in front, he's sitting in front of you as a 14, 15, 16 year old. So you have the tendency to kind of speak to him like he's a four. But remember, one day he's going to come back. He's going to be a grown man. <laughs> yeah. And, I, I, and, you know, you, you don't think of the impact you have, but I, I know that we had uh... – Dave Wilkie come on. He's an Army Ranger, and he had talked to our, our football team, and then he came on the podcast and told the story. He's deployed to Afghanistan, and he felt like quitting as they're walking through this valley. And they said, look, they're coming for you. You got to get out of there fast. And he said the only thing going through his head was Coach Hench, his offensive line coach, offensive coordinator, saying, chop your feet, chop your feet. It literally saved his life. Wow. that That's great. So no pressure, assistant coaches. You're saying yeah. don't yeah. don't blow it. All right. So no more tough questions from Joe Sarno. We're going to get into a, a segment just basically called rapid fire questions. So you don't need deep answers. I'm not going to I'm going to try my best not to uh, interrupt you at all. So first question for you, if you could put anything on a billboard on the Staten Island Expressway, what would it say? Mm. Huh. Um. Oh, I heard you. I heard you ask that to James. I was like, Come on, James, say something. <laughs> um, probably, uh, probably the the the. the uh, I mean, uh, that's that. That is a tough question. If if you're not thinking about it, you know, um, if you if you don't get that question. In advance, <laughs> just for the people listening, I did offer to give Coach Neville the questions beforehand, and he <laughs> refused, which I thought was extremely great. All right, so Coach, we're, we're going to skip that question. I'm going to go yeah. to another one. When you think of Tottenville football, what is one word that comes to mind, and why? Um, family, definitely family. That's something we always preached. Um, and you know, just those t- two quick stories that I just told you about Edmund and Gus. Um, and then hearing James, you know, all the stuff he's done in his life and he's still talking about how great Tottenville is and how much he loves Tottenville football. Um, you know, and then you think about practicing this year, practicing on Thanksgiving and all the guys that come down, the former pirates that come down and they speak to the players and how much it means to them. And you think about, you know, all the alumni, you know, that's out there that, it still means something too. Um, so I would say family for sure. Awesome. 
what failure in your life inside or outside of football led to greater success later on? Hmm. I would say my first year coaching, you know, um, and what we spoke about today, you know, um, just trying to be that coach that everybody hates, <laughs> Does, you know, and thinking that was the right way to go. And, you know, even though we were seven and four that year, and I like to say that was some of our best coaching because we were, we were, that was probably the least talented team that I had. Um, I would say that that year was not a failure, but I didn't get the most out of them based on the fact um, of how I coached. So, and I think that failure or not so much a failure, but just the reflection of the mistakes I made that year led to what happened this year. And um, which was, you know, not the finish that we wanted, but I guess a great um, success, you know. All right. This is a piggyback question onto that. So if you knew you only had one season left to coach with no fear of failure, barring anything illegal, what would you do? So probably take your philosophy onside kick every time and uh not punt (laughs) (laughs) um probably go for it every fourth down um yeah um just practice the way i practiced uh for the peters game in 16 where we just practiced for like a half hour and uh went in so (laughs) i love it yeah that would probably be um that would probably be it well, you know I'm on board, so when it's your last year, let, let me know, and uh, I'll put in the not punting. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, last question, my selfish question to everyone. What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter? <laughs> you haven't seen my office? <laughs> I, think I'm the big, I think I'm the worst guy giving you information on that. Um, simplify your life. It's, I'm the worst guy to be given advice on that, George. I'm still a work in progress with, uh, with that. Um, my advice to anybody and, and to you is probably not on topic, but again, it's a, I'm a work in progress is don't, and you, and you know this better than anybody, don't let outside voices affect the way you are every day and what you do, you know, believe in something and just surround yourself with guys that believe in the same thing and, and just don't let anybody outside you affect your mood and um, what you do. And again, it all goes back to that first year of, I, I learned that where it's not healthy when you're listening to not only listening to it, but letting it affect your life and wanting to fight every battle. And it's just not a, it's just not a healthy, um, a healthy environment to be in and a healthy and you're not a healthy person to be around when, when you're listening to everything outside of your inner circle. Well, I think that's way, way better advice than uh, simplifying or remove the clutter. And actually maybe it does coach. Maybe that does remove clutter. If you are not taking everything that everyone says as a personal affront or you want to fight that person, maybe that, that removes clutter from your mind yeah. and yeah, allows you to stay focused. Be willing to say no to people. <laughs> you know, that's my big problem. I never, 
I always think I have to say, yeah, I was the guy you ring my doorbell and, you know, there's a salesman there or somebody. I would listen to the whole spiel and, <laughs> and give them $10 or whatever. I wouldn't, you know, don't be afraid to say no and, and just, um, you know, and sur- like I said, surround yourself with people that that believe in what you believe in. And my banner for the Staten Island Expressway would say, let's play football this year in, in 2020 because we need it. There you go. That That is a great recovery, too, of picking that one back up. <laughs> yeah. Coach, I, I got to thank you. It's not every day that you get to like a sneak peek inside the mind of a head coach, especially one of a program that is one of the top one or two in all of New York City. I'm sure there's a lot of young coaches that want to listen to this, a lot of young kids. Uh, just anyone can, can hear the way you're thinking. It, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I'm looking forward to coaching with you, God willing, in, uh, in 2020, if not in the spring of 2021. Yeah, absolutely, George. Uh, thank you. And like I said, uh, your podcast is great. Um, a lot of people are listening to it. Um, and uh, it's an honor to be, you know, to be a guest on your podcast. I'm, I'm glad we did it. And make sure you uh, remind Sarno he was the one asking all the tough questions. <laughs> Wasn't me. You got it. All right, Coach. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Bye. This episode is brought to you by the Nutrition Treatment Center. Are you feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak? Yet at the same time, you're training like you've never trained before. You're eating cleaner than you've ever eaten before. Well, maybe you're doing everything right, but there's something wrong inside your body that's counteracting all the good things that you're doing. It's kind of like driving down the Garden State Parkway with your foot on the gas pedal, but you're not getting anywhere because the parking brake's on. And in the world of nutrition, that parking brake could be food sensitivities. For example, you could be eating grilled chicken, but it's actually making you fat. Or you could have a micronutrient deficiency. If you're feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak, and you think you're doing everything right, go visit our friend Dr. Tom over at the Nutrition Treatment Center. If you tell them that Advanced Training referred you, he will take 25% off your first consultation fee. This man legitimately changed my life. He brought me from, and I'll just say the numbers, 19.5% body fat, a guy who trained all the time, down to 12% body fat. I lost weight while eating more, and I've never felt better. And I'm, I'm an old man now. I'm not a young man, and I've never felt better. This guy saved my life. I 100% believe in what he's done. Again, visit Dr. Tom over at the nutritiontreatmentcenter.com.